0: Pastor Xavier Reese with scriptural counsel for the day of apostasy.
1: This is what you're to do in the midst of apostasy. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, have compassion making the distinction. But on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Learn it well. It's your survival kit, people. Pray that God give you wisdom.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Coming from the pulpit, it's hardly unexpected to hear a plea renouncing the evils of a culture inundated in pornography, abortion, crime, and homosexuality. Interestingly though, from his New Testament epistle, we learn that Jude's culture was awash with these same vices, but he doesn't bash the libertines of his world. Rather, his concern is within the church. The object of his focus was sadly on the Christian community. The simple truth is, says Pastor Xavier, Jude's concerns continue to remain valid among the churchgoers of our day. Let's join him now continuing an introduction to a verse-by-verse study series of the book of Jude.
1: The epistle of Jude is arranged in triplets. There's about 10 or 12 triplets that we find through this epistle. Let me give you an example of that just in verse 1. You find Jude, servant, brother. Three identities he gives himself. Then he says, called, beloved, preserved. Identifications of the believer. Then he says, mercy, peace, love. With the greeting. In verse 5 through 7, you have Israel as an example of God's judgment. You have angels who left their first estate. You have Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 11, you have Cain, Balaam, Korah. Cain, hatred. Balaam, greed. Korah, envy and jealousy. And you find these triplets throughout the Epistle of Jude. Now, the date of the Epistle of Jude is hard to know. Scholars put it somewhere between 68 AD and even as far up as 80. There are some who have mentioned 90. You know, we don't know. A lot of the argument that you get for dates and for places and all that, it's, you know, man's conjecture and all that and who cares? Where he wrote it, we don't know. From where to who he wrote it, we don't know. And so often the book of Jude is called a Catholic epistle. It's a to the church at large. Uh, others believe that it was very a very specific group, but the only problem with that is it doesn't mention it in the epistle, so therefore we can't say that. But again, these things are irrelevant. The important thing is, what did he say? <laughs> what is it that the Bible says? That's what we want to get to. How does it affect me? How does it apply to me? What is that to do to me? How is that to affect my life? That's the bottom line, people, not... Knowledge, Not information, but transformation. That's the bottom line. Now, the theme of the epistle is given in verses 3 and 4. Where he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting, so it's an exhortation, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. For certain men have kept it unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for the condemnation ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. The theme is to contend for the faith on the positive note. It is to fight the good fight of faith. It is to stand up against those who oppose, who contaminate, who delude, who pollute, who do injustice and violence to the scriptures. That's the responsibility of every believer in Jesus Christ. On the negative note is verse 4. Apostates had infiltrated the church. He gives us two things to identify basically their attack. We don't know what group it was. Some have tried to tie it with the Gnostics because it follows also sort of something like 1 John, but we don't know But he gives us two elements that help us to know where they're coming from. The first one is ungodly men who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. They were men who were taking the doctrine of grace and saying, Well, I'm saved, I'm under grace, and I can do whatever I want. Now, I hope you know what the scriptures declare about such belief, such practice. First John says if you say you walk in the light or you're in the light and you walk in darkness, you lie and don't have the truth. Light and darkness cannot be one. And so any person who declares to be a Christian, having embraced grace and continues to live in an open lifestyle of sin and says that grace is sufficient, know one thing. They are not born again. Paul says in Romans 6 Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Perish the thought. God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I don't know about you, but God messed my life up when I was 23 for the good. But I know it was totally rearranged. And I really wasn't that good of a guy. But I can see my life completely change. There was a junction in my life where, man, there was just devastated. The Lord ministered to my heart, and I saw truth for the first time. I saw reality for what it really was, and I have never, ever been the same. Now I'm the same creep that I was when I was 23. Just as sinful in my sin nature with the same capacities, But day by day, by the grace of God, I've been refined and continue to be refined. I'm not perfect and neither are you. But my habitual walk is in the light. And when I use grace, it's because of my weakness or because I stumble. But not because I feel that it doesn't make any difference what I do and I can just abuse grace. Never. Such a doctrine does not exist in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second element is that they were denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that they wanted to embrace the grace that was preached by Christ and by lifestyle deny it and then publicly deny the Lord and Godship of Christ? It doesn't make sense. But it goes to show you how blind people are. Not only those who lead, but those who follow To you and myself, if you're grounded, it doesn't make any scriptural sense. And yet, there will be people in church that will live like that. And they will hear the very same gospel you hear tonight. I'm amazed at what some people conclude from what I say. You see, we as people only hear what we want to hear. We're very selective. You ever go to a cafeteria? You get what you want. Well, people are like that in the church too. They hear what they want. Now I understand a little bit more why Jesus always says, Him that has an ear, let him hear. Study the messages of the churches. The Spirit says, Hear. Because we don't listen with the ears of the scriptures, we listen with the ears of what's beneficial for me. We're very selective. And so these are the two elements that he describes for us regarding these apostates who had infiltrated into the church. Apostasy is always from within. Always. And people get deluded. I am amazed. One of the most tragic and hurtful things that I experienced as a pastor is when people within the body start murmuring and complaining and finding some disgruntled differences and they're not very comfortable here any longer or at any other church. And they begin to contaminate other people who are vulnerable, who are babes in Christ, or who are as carnal as they. And they draw them away from a fellowship that is feeding them, loving them, And they're ultimately destroyed. They don't fellowship anywhere else. I know you will find it hard to believe me, but please believe me. Most people that leave a church don't go to another church. They just flake out. Or they just church hop without any commitment. They're much like the marriages today. You get tired of your wife, hey, divorce her, get another one. Christians do that all the time. Huh? You won't let me be some in the ministry, huh? I'll pick up my toys and go somewhere else. No commitment. No integrity. And they always say, Well, God is leading me out. I am always amazed of how sensitive our ears are at discerning God's voice to lead us out, but never to lead us into anything. <laughs> Which allows me to believe that we don't discern God's voice at all. We just say we do. But see, we have to dress our carnality with something that sounds spiritual. There are many parallel passages. Let me just touch on a few to kind of back up the theme of apostasy in the last days. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, if you will, in chapter 18. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is talking here. And if you remember being with us when we went through the Gospel of Luke, it's been a while now. A tremendous Gospel. I would encourage you to read it, know it. In chapter 18 of Luke, you remember that Jesus had been speaking about his soon return and the different signs that were, that were going to take place and how the days were going to be. That's chapter 17. And after that, he went into chapter 18 and he spoke a parable unto them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. But this parable must be interpreted in the midst of chapter 17 in the context of the soon return of Jesus Christ. And the more specific context is to avenge his wrath against the ungodly. Because the parable that he gives, if you're familiar with it, it's that widow that continues to bug this judge for justice. He finally gives in, though he didn't fear God or man. And the application is in verse 6. Then the Lord says, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bear long with them? You see, the context is chapter 17. In the soon return of Christ, times will get so bad that even the people of God will give up that God is going to avenge himself. And Jesus says, you shouldn't be fainting You should be praying and trusting and knowing that I will avenge you and pour out my wrath on the ungodly. If an unjust judge does it, how much more the judge of all the earth. Now, usually this parable is taught on something completely different. You have to interpret it in the light of chapter 17. That is the context. Now, look at verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? It is a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. No. Did he not say to his disciples, My little flock? And so, according to the words of Jesus... There will be a great apostasy. There are many other scriptures we can look as far as Jesus is concerned, but that will suffice. And I think that Jude hits it right on the head. And I think that we are in there. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. You have all the T's together. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, then the Timothys, then the Titus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. Somebody had written a letter. Somebody had prophesied. Somebody had been spreading rumors that the tribulation period had already begun. And they were now in the midst of it. And the Thessalonians knew that Paul told them that they would not go through it. And they were sort of perplexed and confused. And so Paul, let me back up to verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and listen to this, and our gathering together to him. That's the rapture. That's not the second coming. Jesus will come back for his saints, but Jesus will come back to the earth with his saints. There's a big difference. He says... In our gathering together, Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit, somebody probably said, Thus saith the Lord, and prophesied, or by word, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Somebody had signed Paul's name or one of the apostles and sent the letter off. It was false. He says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. What day? The tribulation day, the day of wrath. They thought they were in it unless the apostasia, same word, comes first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He goes on to speak how he'll exalt himself above all that says and calls himself God in the temple of God. A great apostasy will take place first prior to the appearing of the Antichrist and the beginning of the tribulation and great tribulation. Go to 1 Timothy. Keep going to the right. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry... And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And so there you have what the Spirit says about the latter times seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, a departure from the faith. Now, I believe that the departure from the faith is fulfilled in two ways. And I think it's consistent with many of the prophecies of the Old Testament, short-term, long-term. I believe that the departure from the faith happens this way. In the first fulfillment, the real church is taken out. And that in itself will be the beginning of a tremendous departure even more than we're seeing now Of all those who will turn their back upon Christ, which will begin the tribulation period. Because once the church is removed, the only restraining force against evil will be gone. The Holy Spirit is not holding back evil today. It is the power and the work of the Spirit through the church that is doing it. Because the world does not know or obey or hear the Holy Spirit, John tells us. So the Holy Spirit is not restraining any non-believer. The only one he restrains is the believer. And through the corporate body of Christ, the testimony of restraint to the evil system of the world. And so the apostasy, I believe, will be fulfilled two ways we will be violently removed, and they will violently turn their back upon Christ. I believe it's twofold. And so Paul exhorts Timothy here. Second Timothy, one more book to the right. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, and from such people turn away. Could be read the LA Times. Interesting, we see these characteristics today. Tremendously. You remember the book of Acts chapter 20 when Paul told the Ephesian elders, there's some of you I've spent three years with, and out of the very midst of you, some of you will raise up disciples unto yourself. They'll teach wrong doctrine. Jesus says that they would come in as wolves in sheep's clothing, Matthew 7, 15. But they're not of the Lord. They infiltrate the body of Christ. Two Sundays ago, we spoke on testing the spirits in 1 John 4.1. Test every spirit, for there are many spirits that have gone out into the world, but not every spirit that has gone into the world confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh or is coming. You see, the test is what do they say about Jesus? That has to be the test. And then it's what do they say about the words of Jesus? And that's the word of God. A tremendous epistle. This is just kind of an intro to the epistle. He begins with his greeting in verse 1 to verse 2. He gives the theme of the epistle in verse 3 and 4, verses 5 on down to verse 16. He uses illustrations of judgments from the Old Testament, specific places, specific people, human as well as spirit. He mentions names in particular and examples so that we cannot miss. And he says, woe to them, verse 11. He gives very vivid and and, and colorful metaphors. In verse 12 on down to verse 13. Spots, literally scabs. Clouds without water. Late autumn trees, twice dead. Pulled up by the root. Raging waves. Shame, wandering stars. And then he cites... In verse 14, the apocryphal writing. So they tell us. And also in verse 9, Michael the archangel contests against Satan for Moses' body. Now I don't know if it's a true citing of the apocryphal books. I believe they may be able to make a correlation. I'm not sure. Because he is writing under the inspiration. It doesn't mean that he couldn't quote them, But it doesn't mean that he is quoting them. Murmurs, verse 16 says. Complainers. Sounds like a lot of people in the church. After their own lust. Mockers, verse 18. Sensual persons, verse 19. Causing divisions. We're more spiritual than you. We know better. And yet the climax of the entire epistle is found in verse 20 to 23. You, beloved, building up yourself in your most holy faith... This is what you're to do in the midst of apostasy. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, have compassion, making a distinction. But on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Here is the counsel for the day of apostasy. Verse 20 to 23. Learn it well. It's your survival kit, people. And then he reassures them with God's keeping power, verse 24 and 25. The doxology which everybody claims, all Christians claim not to him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. To God and Savior who alone is wise, be glory and magic, dominion and power both now and forever, amen. There's such a positive note to know that scripture. But how about when Jude says that you're to be pulling people out of the fire, making compassion on others? You see what I mean, how we're very selective? I think we're going to have fun in the book of Jude. I pray that God give you wisdom.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese brings his overview of the Epistle of Jude to a close. With an optimistic outlook over apparent apostasy, Scripture commands the Church to be aware and vigilant of. And this message, titled Introduction to Jude, is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study again at your own pace. Plus, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Introduction to Jude. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to include the call letters of this station, however you choose to contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese.